What's up, my people? Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church's Sermon Spotlight, where we are coming at you each and every week with a fresh weekend to debrief in an effort to send biblical truth. And what better way to do that than by the power of conversation? I'm Alicia Battaglia in the host seat, and joining us today is the lovely Rose Locke, our creator of all things. Yeah, not all things, that's for sure. Hi, Alicia. How are you today? Good, good, good. good. Thanks for being here. Uh, and of course, our uh, senior pastor, Mark Carey. Thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's a great uh, start to the summer. I think the official day of summer is tomorrow. Oh. Yeah, so um, we're probably all in summer mode, which is fun. Um, so we are ready to kick off uh, another weekend in review with uh Acts 17, and we've got the tale of two cities. And Rose, I'm going to come your way, and I'd love to hear uh, any gems that you brought. I love that (laughs) novel, first of all, I'll say. I I like that novel a lot. Um, You know, and I I was like, I wonder if we should read It Was the Best of Times, It Was the Worst of Times, you know, because that kind of is what Acts was like. So I appreciated the title as soon as I saw it, Mark. Um, I just, uh, just a couple things. Um, I really love history. Mark and I have that in common. And so the whole like Roman road and the fullness Mm. of time thing caught me. But also um, in like, at least first service, uh, F1, Mark, you said something about Socratic, a Socratic dialogue. And so I was thinking like that is part of the fullness of time as well. Socrates lived like three, 400 years before Christ. And so like even his um, opening of what a de- like the ideas that Socrates implemented, what a debate looks like and how the Greeks had that kind of um, history in front of them. And now Paul shows up and he knows how to engage in those kinds of conversations and he's able to convince them. So I was just kind of thinking that was another cool little thing about us being in Greece and the way that Paul was able to engage them with good questions and kind of mm-hmm. do a-, a survey. I just thought was was something that that I don't know. It just stuck out to me in the sermon. And then I think like your applications, Mark, are always just so helpful. And even your first application, the central message, making the central message, the person and work of Jesus Christ and talking about not making distractions and how when you study things like logic and debate and you learn these fallacies, you know, and the idea of red herrings, like distract. That, that's like that's like something you learn in the course of debate. Hey, something you can do is distract, but it's also something you learn to watch out for, right? Mm. Don't just, if they start to distract from the main topic, then you should shouldn't um you shouldn't engage in that way and then not compromising the truth and um you know and just the continued emphasis mark of being in god's word and how god's word really is the answer to everything it just re i mean i i I enjoy god's word and i spend time in god's word but i don't know if i i went and asked the lord to help develop that deeper in me um that psalm 119 so i just i got a ton out of the sermon i thought it was as always just I just enjoy what you what you Was there anything in those passages that you th- saw jump out at you or both of you mm. that we didn't cover, I didn't cover, but that that you saw maybe was pertinent to it that should have been covered or anything? One, one thing that I came away with at the end of the sermon, um, one was just seeing the goodness of God and just um, through his word and... Um, I also was so thankful for the solid teaching that we receive here at Fellowship Bible Church and the fact that we have good expositional preaching, like going 
through the scriptures word by word, because with that, we can't um, scoot around things that are uncomfortable. <laughs> and we, we have to hit the text and we have to see what God's word is um, from the beginning to the end. And it's neat to see from Genesis to Revelation that it all um, is a unified redemptive story that ultimately points to Christ. And we see that what was happening with Paul in that with his teaching of the Old Testament scriptures, that um, that this story, it it's connected and it's connected to where they were at then and it's still connected to where we're at now. The message is not compromised. So um, I really appreciated that. But one thing that um, kind of jumped out to me in chapter 17 is when they're in Berea, um, the order that uh, Luke explains what's happening starting in verse 11, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica and they received the word with all eagerness. They examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so and many of them therefore believed. So I saw that order of receiving the word, examining the word and then believing. And so um, I, I appreciated that process that it's just not like, yeah. boom, you know, you've got it all there. There is um, there is this taking in and then considering the the content and believing what you're examining. Um, and then another thing that was interesting about this is um, when they're going to synagogue and they're un uh, unpacking the scriptures, this is a communal thing. It's not happening individually. They're going together to learn the scriptures. They don't have a Bible like we have. They have the scriptures which are being read or, I mean, I don't mm -hmm. think probably very many of them had copies of the, of the scrolls or I don't know, mm -hmm. but, um, but it would have to be a communal thing. And so I think that that speaks to the value of um, digging in scripture together and what that looks like for the body of Christ. Um, and what we do on a weekend is coming together as a body. And, um, and then in our small groups, that's breaking down even smaller. And then of course, individually, we're growing and digging into the scriptures. But I, I think there, we don't want to miss the value of this corporate learning um, and receiving the scriptures. And that, that's what makes, going back to you were saying, Rose, the Socratic approach is enhanced in the corporate mm -hmm. because multiple people are raising questions or are you know there's this multiple corporate right. debate and, and there dialogue are so many yeah. different like one of the things i i recently listened to a sermon from alistair Begg, and the sermon was I, I i listened to part of it in the car and then i had to go look up and it was a fairly like old sermon you might call it like from 2007 and it was actually about jealousy and so mark when you brought up about the jews and mm. they were jealous right because other the greeks were basically receiving what they the what they thought belonged to them the chosen people of god and so even like so that's a whole other tact you could take in these passages is really looking at the jews and why were they jealous and and you know how should they have responded and how did they respond and why did they respond that way in your applicational areas mm -hmm. do you know what i mean so there are there's so much to chew on here i did have a question mm -hmm. so where where and i i kind of looked this up just briefly and i couldn't find a whole lot but what is it that makes um the synagogue 
10 men, um, why, why are, why is, why are 10 men required in order to form a synagogue? What, why? There was only one thing that I found. Because it would take 10 men to actually come up with a cohesive thought. (laughs) How many men does it take to screw in a light bulb? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. It's it's in, Uh it's in the, the, it's buried in the Tanakh in the Old Testament, the, no, I, I don't know. I don't the know where that... The only thing that I saw was from Genesis when Abraham was um, asking God to spare Sodom mm. for 10, you know, if there were 10 righteous men. Yeah. I don't but... think it's grounded in in the Torah. I think okay. it's I think that was added later uh, as a stipulation. That's kind of... So, so as the, as the Jews were being, as, as the Jews were dispersed, mm-hmm. the, the question arose, would, would, would uh, arise... So when can we form a, how do we, how do we have meeting? How do mm-hmm. we have a, a, and so they, I think it's an arbitrary thing um, about that. I'll tell you who to ask would be Christy Vocal. Christy mm-hmm. might have some uh, but, but Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it, but, but it was, you know, by then it was standard process. Okay. So we're talking about in that di- diaspora, in that dispersion from ancient Babylon and times and, and that, that whole thing. Um, yeah. How do you, if you're not near the temple, if you where what constitutes a gathering where you can legitimately, um, study the scriptures mm-hmm. and, um, well, there were like, there were some more questions I had that I tried to do a little digging on like why Berea? Like, because, because I got, because I got intrigued by the idea of, okay, the groundwork for having a good conversation and a good debate about any topic in a sense has been laid by Socrates and kind of, and Plato and the tradition of the Greeks, right? They have kind of laid that foundation that we are going to have conversations about what is rhetoric, what is piety. That's kind of the famous Socratic dialogue. Um, and so that has been laid. Is there some reason why the Bereans were more open to that, like had mm. open minds to have that conversation with Paul as opposed to um, the, where, you know, where he started, the Thessalonians? Like, is there, is there, was there some kind of historical or educational or social reason why Berea Not, would be more open to that? See, you know? I don't think so. I didn't find anything. Yeah. Athens, when we, next week, when right. we talk mm-hmm. about Paul in Athens, that's a whole different, yeah. I mean, there's, that's the seat of all of that, that that t- took place, but they were wacky yeah. down and, there. And this is probably for next week, but like in part of my research, thinking about Socrates, um, like there are some articles about how Luke would have known, you know, mm-hmm. and how how Paul's standing there. Like there are verbs and things that are used in the Greek that 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 relate to Socrates, and so there was probably a connection kind of being made to that tradition there. Um, but Berea, I could not find anything about I Berea. I don't think I think, and that's what's kind of I think um, implicit in those, you know, Thessalonica, even Philippi, these towns implicit in the unfolding of these stories is the sovereignty of God that here was Thessalonica. That was the capital. That was the seat of, of the district of Mas- of the province of Macedonia. It was the, it was the major city. And then there's this little Berea and that's where it's, it, that's where the contrast takes place. It's, it was the Bereans who were the noble minded, which is an interesting word, noble minded. Uh, it's a compound word with the word, um, uh, EU, uh, eugenis, uh, eugenesis, uh, well-bred, well, 
Mm-hmm. Um, Which I wondered if, because it, it does go, in the next verse then it says that the, the, many of them believed along with the number of prominent Greek women and men, right? Which I, which I felt like maybe that implies well, well, mm-hmm. well, right. but also that implies then an excellent, excellent education yes. background, right? It, so it, they have been trained in this idea of, of logic and rhetoric and asking good questions and having open-mindedness in the process. Yeah. And, yeah. and now my guess is that was also true in Thessalonica in verse four, but it's, it is verse 12 in Berea that it specifically says these prominent uh, Greek women and men, um, and, and it would have the idea of social standing, education, you know, that type of a thing. But what he labels them is their noble mindedness. So and he doesn't say ad- that about Thessalonica. He doesn't say that about the a- Athens uh, or Corinth for that matter, Corinth had it, but it's this this little out of, more of out of the way place, Berea, that were the noble mindedness. And going back to what you were saying, Alicia, is the, the, the good observations. They received it. Uh, they examined it. They received it with joy. They examined uh, these things, and then you know it says they believed. Mm-hmm. So, whereas in Thessalonica they were persuaded, mm-hmm. which to me implies arm twisting. Yeah, or they just like they were easily they weren't they were easily blown here and there by the wind because the next the next teacher could have come along and could have Poss- easily persuaded right, them right. as well as opposed to really yeah. examining and so looking you, for the truth. So I don't know if you want to go too far down that road, but how would you define noble-minded Christians, or what does it mean to be? What are the characteristics of? Christian nobility, to mm-hmm. put that phrase. Well, you have it here. It's how they handle the word. Mm-hmm. It was their respect, mm-hmm. um, attentiveness. It all had to do with God's revelation and how we embrace that and and, and respect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that is where the label noble-minded came. Yeah. It's a term that was used well-bred, meaning you know these are the blue bloods of whatever, but I think obviously what Luke is saying in picking that term, what what the Brians were described is their spiritual heart and attentiveness to the scriptures. That's what made them. Uh, and I can't help but to think that and and why this little Berea, you know, in the midst of all of these other little cities and what's happening and just the rage and what a what a gift for Paul and Silas to come upon this little town. And I mean, I'm sure that it was just refreshing to their souls as well, because we can see not only just their intellectual um, status of being um, so diligent to learn the scriptures, but also their attitudes of just joy and eagerness. And um, I mean, I think people in ministry need that (laughs) as well, because it's a battle. And when we can encourage uh, our fellow uh, pastors and teachers and uh, just one another, that that can be such an encouragement to carry on and continue on okay, let's go to the next town, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, that's true. So, okay, Pastor Mark, in your sermon, was there anything that you uh, weren't able to get to? Because I know it was kind of a little bit, um, I mean, there was so much packed in there, but I know that there's always more. <laughs> so is there anything that you want to hit on? Well, I, you know, I, we it's speculation, but it is interesting how Paul um, reasoned from the scriptures and 
and you see this um, that that his thinking process where he started in the Old Testament explaining, giving evidence that the Messiah had to suffer and rise again, and and then connecting the dots. So he put his he put out his hypothesis: Messiah must rise, must die and rise again. And then his proofs, his proofs are, are the apotheosis. Was that the right term? Was the now here's Jesus hmm. who died and rose again and ergo he is messiah so i mean he lays out those old tips then he points to jesus and he connects the dots and so i you know it says he reasoned with them for three sabbaths and you don't know how much time and all that's involved with it obviously he's talking about the jews they know their old testament so where he went and how he went through all that would have been fascinating we know there's something like um something like 350 uh, Old Testament prophecies concerning Christ, his first coming. So some some mathematician, scholar, uh, said that if, um, let's, he, he, what, he, what he postulated was that, let's say 48 of those came true of this one man. He said the, the um, probability of that is one, or 10 to the 17th power, a one with 17 zeros mm-hmm. behind it. If just, if just 48, and there were 348, 350 prophecies. Uh, I, I believe that was the math behind it. In other words, statistically, it's just totally incomprehensible mm-hmm. that this one man, Jesus, would fulfill that. So my guess is that Paul went through scripture after scripture probably beginning with genesis he we we talk about in in our missions ministry we we go from creation to christ and walking that that whole journey and uh, we did a series a number of years ago called every story whispers his name mm-hmm. that from the Sally lloyd jones book um showing where all all the there are direct references like he was to be born in bethlehem in micah or you know, he was the, a virgin birth, Isaiah seven, or he was to be crucified, pierced through Psalm twenty-two. You know, three hundred and fifty of these um, direct, and then let alone all the allusions, the the uh, Christophanies. Yes, well, and, and yeah, <laughs> and, and the 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 um, sacrificial system, mm. and all the the, the different imagery in the old testament pointing that pointed that something's coming something's coming even yeah take the whole sacrificial system paul will explain that those were sins that had been covered the toning covering but it never took away the sins the writer of the book of hebrews brings all this out right i was even thinking about like i i knew that i knew that this um idea of him talking through the Old Testament and using that as his proof to Christ was really intriguing to Mark. And so I just happened to be looking in, like, I happened to open the book of Hebrews yesterday for another, I was working on something else, but I read the first few chapters of Hebrews and it's the same thing. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in 
any in any in in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he made the whole world he is the radiance of his glory the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made the purification of sins he sat down like so the the entire book of hebrews begins almost with this okay here's what we know from the old testament and here's what we know of christ and how he fulfilled that and then paul goes on to explain other more intricate details but it's the same idea of this like proving from the beginning of creation through christ's death and resurrection that this was the plan he had uh, i think i mentioned he had so much material like where would you begin right you know i quoted from john 5 39 where jesus said you search the scriptures thinking that you have eternal life in that but it it's the scriptures that point to me mm-hmm. or on the road to Emmaus, you know, beginning with Moses and then all the prophets. He walked them through the things that all pertain to himself mm-hmm. that were found in the scripture. I mean, it, you talk about an incredible Bible lesson. So the other thing that I think, and I wonder again, it's just a, I just, I'm curious. Um, because I, I also, and I didn't mention this, but I think Paul... I wonder how much he was thinking back to Stephen, because in mm-hmm. Stephen's defense, he starts right. back mm-hmm. and he walks similar. through that, mm-hmm. yeah. and and until he got to that point right. where they, you know, they couldn't hear it anymore. But um, in a sense, that's what Paul is doing too. Right, and, he's and you just know that that's how, the scriptures. That's part of Paul's. I mean, Paul Paul saw Christ you know, on the road to him. Paul, Paul saw Christ, right? right. And had that conversion mm-hmm. moment. But at the same time, he had sat through Stephen's, yes. um, you know, trial. And he had sat probably through Christ's trial, well, right? Well, and back in chapter six, when Stephen is arguing or reasoning in the, the temple of the freedmen, I think Paul was there. Absolutely. Because it said people yeah. from Cilicia and so on right. and so forth. So he may have debated yeah. part of this dialogue and debating he might have been in the audience right. as a young so man paul, and so this. paul has like paul has done what he's asking the bereans to do yes. right paul has sat through the argumentation paul has looked at the proofs paul has heard the thesis mm-hmm. right statement and paul has used the skills and gifts that were given to him in his edu- hebrew education he studied under gamaliel yeah to now convince i mean i just think it's i just think it's really cool how god uses us and our individual experience experiences as real people mm-hmm. you know w- without paul having all that background That's could right. he even even if the bereans were open-minded could paul himself yeah. have convinced them without all of these things that we've been studying from the very beginning of the yeah book of again Acts, the fullness you know? of time you know paul was a yeah. jew he was a jew of jews a hebrew of hebrews he was greek from cilicia and he was a roman citizen all converging and so there was a certain obvious, I, they said, you know, they say Paul was a man that you wouldn't necessarily look at him as, as you know, he wasn't a six foot five, uh, whatever. Uh, but there was a, uh, there had to be a gravitas about mm-hmm. Paul that because of his command and his passion and his heart for God, that um, they they couldn't reason with him. In fact, we'll see later in, in towards the end of, of uh Acts, is it Festus or Felix that that told him you you, you know kind of stop you, you've almost persuaded me mm-hmm. you know yeah, right. he, you know yeah. he he has a, a remarkable grasp of things and uh, yeah you can see why people in Thessalonica it said is that they they some were persuaded they 
they said, all right, you know, you got us. We, 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 you've put the pieces together. The noble Brians, it didn't say were persuaded, but they listened, they questioned, they examined, and they came and to that conclusion believed. and they yeah. believed it. Well, and too, and you brought this out about how Paul loved the people, and and then you read the letter to the to the Thessalonians that he had written, and so we can see like his heart behind why he believes what he believes and how he wants to impart that to the people out of love mm -hmm. and you can yes. you can read that you can read right. when and, it's love and, and when it's how not. many persuasive orators have we heard who are their goal is to persuade right mm -hmm. and if you go back to the school of Athens, like the whole thing, Socrates, Plato, all those people, it was all about being able to persuade the other side. Mm -hmm. Whether your motivation was simply to say you were the best orator mm -hmm. or the best rhetorician, um, as opposed to Paul, whose motivation is really out of love That's for right. the people and mm -hmm. a desire. And I think, I think that shines through, I think, astute people Maybe the noble-minded Bereans noble can see the difference right. between someone who's persuading them for persuasion's sake and persuading them because they love and care for them. And, and it will be interesting to see next week when it goes to Athens, where it, it's you know that's what those people did. They they would swim in rhetoric and, and all that stuff. They there weren't many people persuaded, you mm -hmm. know, because that they were maybe picking him apart in yeah. terms of how he was doing presenting. There right. was one. Uh, uh, Dionysius uh, of the era uh, of the Areopagus yeah. and and uh, who was persuaded, but uh, yeah. So I, I think f for us, um, more could have been unpacked in terms of applications. I think on this, in terms of some specifics, like you know, one of the applications makes central the person and work of Christ. Okay, what does that mean? How do we do that? How do we make Christ? And we're in a dialogue. Well, I felt like you're, um, I happen to know your doctor um, that you talked about. Um, and I I think like your application with him was just excellent. Because mm -hmm. again, there you have somebody who's incredibly intelligent, mm -hmm. incredibly well-trained in scientific matter, manners, and frankly, really loves people, mm -hmm. but doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think the continual reminder of what is the main thing like that, to me, that was a huge application yeah. because as we walk in this world where there are a lot of people who might disagree with some of our basic, um, some things that we consider basic morality, right? And you could argue with them all day long about should we legislate this or should we legislate that? But then we look at them and we say, but what about Jesus? That's yeah. a whole different conversation, it is. right? You it know? is, yeah. And I think we need that reminder as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, we we really do. I had a conversation with um, someone after the services who shared that they had been a part of a conversation a week or two before of another Christian with, so that two of these uh, Christians with an unsaved person. And um, the other person, the other Christian, started on to into politics and started on to conservative agendas and different things. And the other person from the church was trying to shut her up <laughs> shut shut this person up and it didn't go so well and the and finally the unsafe person said well i think i'm, I'm done with this conversation yeah, yeah. and so that the unsafe person left and the um 
Christian told the other Christian, you blew it. <laughs> I mean, they, they just said, you, you blew this and had an opportunity. So it was confirming for this other yeah. person to hear uh, mm-hmm. that make the focus Christ because mm-hmm. that's what she wanted to do. Yeah. That's what she knew she needed to do. Yeah. Right. Uh, but sometimes we Christians, again, get off on these tangents yeah. that just don't I had, communicate. Yeah, I had a similar yeah. opportunity. So I had, uh, I had a, a Shenandoah student that I had worked with for several years. And uh, before they, they graduate and they leave, um, and before they graduate and they leave, I try to at least... Um, pray for them i try i usually purchase a bible for them Mm -hmm. and encourage them to read it and um you know share try to be sensitive and share the gospel and so i recently had dinner with one of them who's leaving town and um i I, one of the things that she said to me in the conversation was that she knew where i work and she and i had never i had never invited her to church and i may i mean maybe that's a good thing and maybe it's a bad thing i knew she had a church job and was paid to work someplace else but in saying that to me you never like what what she was trying to say to me is you loved me for who i was and it wasn't about where i went Mm. to church and i think sometimes we as christians forget that you know, we have this idea that unless they're going to commit to come to Fellowship Bible Church every Sunday, then they're not going to get saved or be right. saved, right. as opposed to sharing with them who Jesus Christ is Build and that letting the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. sanctify right. them, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's a good point. Because I was thinking of that, too, how w- people can say, well, I, I, I want to invite so-and-so to church so they can come in here, you know, <laughs> well... Let's not forget the local gathering of the body is for us believers. It's to equip the saints. Mm-hmm. It this is not a, a focus on unbelievers. Right. We're, we're not a seeker-oriented church. Right. That, in terms of Sunday morning, that's we're, a time that we worship and gather. We're seeking during the week. We're seeking we're during out. the week, and <laughs> yeah. so we need to be skilled mm-hmm. to handle the scriptures, to know where to go with that. And, and and then the other challenges in today's post-Christian world, so many people today now are not growing up with any understanding. Mm-hmm. The day was when a guy could wear a funny wig and hold up a sign that says John 3.16 at a football game, <laughs> and people kind of knew that was a Bible verse. Right. They'll hold up a John 3.16, and they don't even know what that is anymore. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've become so illiterate mm-hmm. and a lack of understanding in our culture today actually misguided miss in they don't have any idea and it's actually twisted of what uh so we have to be um wise as serpents and as harmless as doves mm. but again we come around to to jesus right and then maybe if, if nothing else we say would you at least commit to reading just this book in the bible it's called the gospel of john mm. and just and we have copies of just the gospel of john itself yeah. that you could just give people and uh, so that so it gets them in connected because that's why john was written these things i wrote that you might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that by believing you'll have life right and that that circles me back to mark something that you said in your sermon and i just think it bears repeating and it bears repeating often is that fellowship bible church this local body of believers is just full of wisdom and resources mm. and i'll hear someone like i'll be out and about and I hear someone ask a question and i'll be able to say 
go to this podcast or go go to the home center because I saw a resource at the home center. So I think part of that is making ourselves aware of the resources that we already have here because I'm thinking through I'm thinking through building bridges, right? Because that conversation I had is with the same person that I prayed for during during that building bridges time when we called called for that prayer and I'm lucky cuz I get to like do some extra things around here and that person's name was front and center on the mm. walls cuz mm-hmm. we had um we had people's names up there on the walls right so I was hopefully able to to get a couple other people praying for that person as well so I think um I like the building bridges study that my community group did and is still available for people to do mm-hmm. there's four podcasts and the booklet is available I mean I just think it was very helpful yeah. mm-hmm. and reminders of keeping Jesus the main thing and engaging the world yeah. on this like outside of our four walls yeah. basis so I just uh, you I think, and you mentioned that on Sunday the resources are there yeah, yeah. and I think yeah. we just have to keep doing that keep putting that emphasis keep encouraging us to engage people don't hit them over the head with the bible don't get off on these tangents listen keep your i don't know one of the services or maybe it was this week keep your mouth shut your ears open maybe that was last week but just engage people with your heart listen and then be prepared to give a defense for the hope and like as i was thinking about being here today mark i was thinking about one of the one of the first times I sat here with you, we had a delightful conversation about this very same thing, learning to ask good questions, mm-hmm. learning to listen well, um, learning to to love people for who they are and where they are, mm-hmm. and not making it, like the Jews were trying to make it about all of our laws and our synagogues and our legalism, and they were doing it out of jealousy, not out of love for the people. Yeah, yeah, you know? and Paul was doing it to point people to Christ. Yeah, and I think and it worked for the for many of them. Reliance on the Holy Spirit uh, through this is key. And there, in my own personal study, there were two verses that jumped out to me that I thought really applied to what the kind of the topic of all of Sunday sermon was. And the first is Second Timothy one fourteen. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And I I just see that it's through the Holy Spirit's Mm -hmm. work that we can do any of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other was in Colossians 2, starting in verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so when we're rooted in Christ and depending on the Holy Spirit, um, man, I just, I think that that is such a powerful evangelistic (laughs) tool and it doesn't mean there won't be persecution and suffering and people might run you out of town Mm -hmm. but seeds have been planted and and you you know we just it's it that is his work we water Mm -hmm. we plant the seeds we water we but god is the one who gives the increase and we don't we don't stress because that's ultimately not our responsibility right it's in the hands of a sovereign god that's right yeah one one side note, and I don't know if you had anything to do with this, but the song Speak, O Lord, I don't know who planned the songs for this week, but... The team. The team did. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I, last week, I think Ben said, while Mike was on sabbatical, everybody, like, everybody's taking we a did. Sunday. Well, what we did is we... Um, this is very unusual for our team. We planned everything. We planned the whole summer on a special planning day. So it's very hard to say, like, I think, let's see, last week's service, I think Mark Francis was like the key builder of that service. Okay. But then what we do is we bring it, because we value teams so much, because 
what you're talking about, like, like Mark Francis has a perspective, Ben Sanford has, Jess has a perspective, right? So what we do is we came with our drafts and then we sat together and then we did edits. So Mark okay. Francis like really um, was kind of the key spearheader of this particular okay. Knowing the passage. Yes, knowing, knowing the, passage. the passage. And then we laid on top of that, which has been a really special, precious grid, I'll just say, we laid on top of that the grid of the Psalms that mm. the learning center mm, right. is mm -hmm. and i just think it's been really cool like a couple like the services i was assigned i would read the acts passage i would read the psalm and i was like holy cow wow. that is like like i ha i did last um last week and when i when mark when i knew mark was going to be talking about the philippian jailer and i knew the psalm was about like sheltering under his wings I was just like, what more appropriate worship mm -hmm. material when you're going to be talking about being in prison? And that was the Holy Spirit. You know? yeah. 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 I love yeah. that. And I love how it connects um, everything together. But yeah. the song, Speak, O Lord, I I think that that is such a powerful song right before the sermon. I would love to sing it every single Sunday. <laughs> so that's my two cents. I think the whole congregation <laughs> would, frankly, I don't, I, I, I love have this, it. it just, I have this really unique perspective on our congregational singing because I... First of all, I'm here for almost every single service. Um, I don't get to attend F3 very often, which I'm sad. I wish I could be down there more often than I am. But I'm for most services that happen in the main auditorium, I'm present in the room. So I know like what the how the congregation responds to the music. I know I I know a lot of things that are happening. And I'll tell you what, our congregation all really likes that song. Oh, and they really sing it really loudly. It, so. it does. It just prepares our heart to receive the word. And yeah, it's so a great prayer. It is. Yeah. It is a great prayer. Well, um, thank you, Rose. Thank yep. you, Mark, for being here. The fact of the matter, guys, is that sermons are not meant to take an hour, but rather transform a lifetime. Until next week, much love and God bless. <laughs>